0: Hi, this is Rabbi Penichas Adler. I'm really sorry, but the fifth KLI class over here about Mashiach, I only started recording midway through. However, most of the topics I discussed in the beginning of the class, I discussed at length in other classes. Particularly, I spoke about if Mashiach's coming will be a proof, proof poof will come in a moment, or will it be a process. And I discussed that in a class earlier this year called Poof or Process. I will put a link to that at the bottom. The other part I discussed was about Elijah. And I will put a link to my two classes on Elijah and his connection to the redemption also in the link to the class. Um, So when you get the recording of the class, it really picks up, um, once I'm moving on almost to the other topic, of the idea of... Um, how do we know who is Mashiach? And um, we start off talking about how Mashiach himself may not even know that he's the Mashiach until the moment arrives, just as Moses didn't know that he was the Mashiach until God appeared to him and says, hey, I want you for the job. Moses... Moses, the first Redeemer, reached the age of 80 years with no knowledge or intuition about his eventual role as the Redeemer of Israel. So will it be, God willing, with a future Redeemer when the time comes, God will appear to him and then the spirit of the Mashiach that until that moment was hidden on high will descend upon him is similar to the experience of Moses at the burning bush. So what we're saying here is that even the Mashiach may not experience his being the Mashiach until the last moment. So what we have so far is Mashiach will be human being. He will possess incredible qualities. His main quality will be humility because humility will be a a, a path, an avenue to express the essence, which is what he's going to reveal within himself into the world. And finally, that really final spark of the Mashiach may not express in him until the moment has come, which will bring us to this next moment. So the Mashiach, one moment he's the Mashiach, one moment he's not the Mashiach, the next moment he is, how does that exactly work? So we're going to take this now from a very practical level. So Maimonides pretty much tells us, and again, this is getting back to Michael's question and may answer your question. Maimonides pretty much tells us that... um, there is what's called a presumptive Mashiach and the actual Mashiach. Okay, again, there's a presumptive Mashiach and an actual Mashiach. So let's take a look over here. Maimonides is one of the few halachic or the only halachic codifier that actually describes in halacha the coming of the Mashiach. And he writes like this, when the king from the house of David will arise, who like his ancestor David, so again, Mashiach is coming from David, diligently studies the Torah and observes its mitzvot as prescribed by the written law and oral law influences all of Israel to walk in the way of the Torah, rectifies the breaches in his observant and wages God's battles. This person is presumed to be the Mashiach. If he succeeds in the above and he builds the temple in its place and gathers the dispersed of Israel, he is certainly the Mashiach. So again, he, he has to be from the house of David. He will study diligently He will observe all the mitzvot. He will influence people to follow the way of the Torah. He will rectify any breaches. He will wage God's battles, which we'll discuss what does it mean. That's called a presumed Mashiach. So he's not the actual Mashiach yet. You can only be the real Mashiach until you build a temple and you gather all the Jews. Then he's certainly Mashiach and then there's no doubt. So there's two stages. There's two stages. There's the stage of the presumed Mashiach, and there's the stage of the ultimate Mashiach. Now, as far as the wars, just to explain, um, some say he might have to actually wage a physical war. Others say it could be just a war of battles, ideas, and values, you know, convincing other people, a war of words, so to speak. There's different opinions as to what it means. But regardless, he will wage God's battles, definitely a war of words, possibly even a physical battle, we are not sure exactly. Um, and that is why I said earlier the two Mashiachs, there's all gonna be only one real Mashiach. The certainty, the certain Mashiach, there's only gonna be one. Are there people who are presumed Mashiach that may come before him, that may get somewhere? Maybe, you know. But the the, the actual Mashiach, there's only gonna be one. As long as we one Mashiach who's gonna build a temple and gather in all the Jewish people, And that is a person that we know for sure is Mashiach. Until somebody does this second part, we do not know that they are for sure the Mashiach. Okay? They could be presumed to be the Mashiach. They could be very, very righteous. They could be very wonderful people, great scholars, encouraging the whole world to follow the word of God. It says, for example, King Hezekiah. God wanted to make Hezekiah the Mashiach. But he wasn't actually the Mashiach in the end. Didn't, Didn't happen in the end. And this brings us to the topic of the idea that there's a Mashiach in every generation. If we have these two stages, so to speak, there's a presumed Mashiach and a proven Mashiach, and we believe Mashiach can come any moment, we also should believe there is someone in each generation who has the ability to be the Mashiach, who has these qualifications, who is a descendant of David, who is pious, who can influence people and can wage God's battles. And we see this from the Talmud. And I'm not going to read the whole story, but the Talmud basically tells the story that right after the... uh, uh, right after the destruction, it says the Jewish Redeemer was born. And uh, what does it mean the Jewish Redeemer was born? This is two thousand years ago. Is Mashiach two thousand years old? You know, is he is he, alt, is he a senior citizen in Florida somewhere? And uh, you know what's going on over here? And so the answer, according to many commentaries, is that Mashiach was born. The Mashiach for that generation. There's a Mashiach for each and every single generation. And so the Mashiach of that generation was born. And here we have from Rabbi Ovadia Bartanura, the great scholar from, as you can see over here, he lived 1445 to 1524. He writes in the book of Ruth, in every generation, a descendant of Judah is born who is befitting candidate to be the Jewish Mashiach. So in every generation, there's a fitting candidate. Have any of those candidates actually become the actual Mashiach? No, we haven't had that yet. It hasn't happened. How do we know? Because nobody built the temple and brought all the Jews back to the land of Israel. Have there been a lot of befitting candidates? Anybody? Have there been a lot of befitting candidates? I would say so. A lot of befitting candidates, no? And in fact, we see that in, even in the days of the Talmud, the rabbis were all looking at their rabbis as if they might be the potential Mashiach. Let's take a look over here. The Talmud says like this. What is Mashiach's name? The scholars of Rabbi Sheila's academy would say his name is Sheila. As it is stated, the scepter shall not depart until Sheila comes. So they said Mashiach is pretty much our teacher, right? The scholars of Rabbi Yanai's academy said his name is Yinon, for Yanai. And then they bring a proof. The scholars of Hanina's academy said his name is Hanina. Some of the scholars insist that his name is Menachem, the son of Chizkiyo. Uh, rabbi Nachman, is, And so again, so we see we hear this idea that everybody was looking for the potential Mashiach, and most chose their rabbi, their scholar. Again, this is completely normal. Because they're not saying he is the Mashiach, right? We don't know for sure, but this is a person that can possibly become the presumed Mashiach. You know, he's a great teacher. He studies the Torah. He comes from the house of David. This guy may may be the Mashiach. Then we have an interesting line. Rabbi Nachman stated, if the Messiah is among the living, he is a person who already occupies a government position such as me. As it is stated, their princes shall be of themselves and their governor shall proceed from their midst. Which, by the way, that just shows how the Mashiach doesn't know their Mashiach until the time comes. Mashiach doesn't know for sure. That's why he said, it could be me. I don't know. (laughs) If the, the generations were the Mashiach, maybe God will come to me and say, you are the Mashiach. I don't know. Then he said another interesting line. Rav stated, if the Messiah is among those currently alive, he is the holy Rabbi Huda, the prince. If the Messiah is among the dead, he is Daniel the beloved. So here is something I want to point out. So the Talmud already gives a possibility that Mashiach can be from the dead which will rattle a lot of Jews because a lot of Jews think that J.C. is not the Messiah because he died. And nothing is further from the truth that has nothing to do with that. I know there are some rabbis who have focused on that, but there's no reason to go there. He, he's not the Messiah because he doesn't do anything that the Messiah is supposed to do. First of all, as I mentioned earlier, what's the story with his lineage? He's come from the house of David. Second of all... Did he do any of the things we mentioned earlier? Was he studious in the Torah and keep all the Torah and make others keep the Torah? Was he making others keep the Torah? Well, no, no. In fact, uh, he got in a spat with the leading rabbinic authorities of those days. Um, And so... He was not eligible to be the Mashiach, just as many other people in his generation were not eligible to be the Mashiach. He wasn't the Mashiach, and neither are a bunch of other thousands of names I can give you of people are Josephus. Well, he's the Mashiach, suddenly. What makes him the Mashiach? He was a great teacher. I'm saying, like, <laughs> uh, he wasn't the Mashiach, because he wasn't the Mashiach, not because he died. And uh, that's that's on top of saying you don't know for sure. Sh- that's on top of what we mentioned earlier. We don't know who for sure the Mashiach is until they actually bring the Mashiach. Till they actually bring us to the temple, and and uh, and uh, and uh, till they actually build a temple, bring the ingathering of Exodus. So to say, this guy is the Mashiach, who never even got to the level of the presumed Mashiach. Why would we assume he's the for sure Mashiach? This guy J.C. So again, the fact that someone has passed away doesn't necessarily preclude, preclude them from being the Mashiach. However, by the way, in Jewish law, if someone is killed, they cannot be the Mashiach. It says the Mashiach. Cannot be killed. Uh, Maimonides writes that. How do we know? I'll bring a story later in the class of somebody who many rabbis thought was a Mashiach and was killed, not JC, someone else, and was actually a righteous person, according to some opinions. But uh, And he was killed and he was not, and, and therefore they knew he was not the Mashiach. So that is another thing we know if someone is killed, they cannot be the Mashiach. So you're questioning can a dead person come to life and be the Mashiach? The answer seemingly is yes. Now, practically in Jewish law, it's debated. Some opinions say yes, some opinions say no. However, obviously, that person who would come from the dead and be the Mashiach would be someone like Daniel the Beloved, who would already have some qualifications to be the Mashiach, someone who was from the house of David, who was, uh, in, you know, kept all the laws of the Torah and was inspiring others to keep the laws of the Torah and was already, already waging the war of God, whether with words or whether in person. And so, um, yes, can someone come from the dead and be the Mashiach? I mean, look, this is the Talmud. It seems to say the answer is yes. Um, Some say that not all opinions in the Talmud agree with him. That's true. Um, But um, there is that possibility, yes. Is that making your head spin? Doesn't sound right, huh?
1: Rabbi, doesn't it say, didn't you say before that uh, it has to come from flesh and blood?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, if you're, if, you're if, de-
1: if you're dead, you're not flesh and blood anymore. So how can you?
0: Well, uh, okay. So obviously the person has to come back to life before they become the Mashiach.
1: So right? do they come back to life as, as Daniel the Beloved or do they come back to life as someone else who's got the soul of Daniel the Beloved?
0: Uh, it seems to be you would come back to life as Daniel the Beloved, not someone else. Listen, if Daniel the Beloved came back to life, I think he would uh, gather quite a nice following, right?
1: I have a question. Yes, Estelle? Um, can you hear me? Yes. Okay. Will the Messiah
0: necessarily be from the East? Will he be born in the East, Israel, that region? No, or not necessarily. Go? He could be born anywhere. And... Is it possible that the Mashiach is here now, but he doesn't know it? Yeah, so that's what we said. There can be a Mashiach. He may not have the manifestation of the full Mashiach soul in him. Just like Moses was around, didn't know he would be the Redeemer until he was 80. So uh, presumably there is a presumed Mashiach around us, um, or someone who can easily become the presumed Mashiach, and uh, become the Mashiach. Um, People will know, and then everyone would know no mystery. He would be identified. You're asking if someone came back to life, he'd be easily identified as the Mashiach? That's no problem. So he'd be easily identified. Eh. Assumedly, if he comes back to life, uh, it would be happening uh, closely to the arrival of the Mashiach.
1: Uh, I'm
0: sorry. ah, so the year two uh, the year six thousand. Yeah. You said it's a significant year. I'm sorry, for the Mashiach coming, right? Mm-hmm. So we're actually not gonna know because obviously none of us are gonna be around. <laughs> I'm not making any assumptions. <laughs> well, so had, who said we won't be around? They might they might get better medications. I don't know. We'll find yeah. out. So But uh listen, I'm praying Mashiach comes before then. But yeah. So there's, so there's possibilities that he can, he can come before. Oh yeah, of course he can come before. Yeah, that's what we said earlier. There's a Mashiach coming on time and there's a Mashiach coming early. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's not going to come Jewish time, which is five minutes late. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, let's read over here from this screen over here. In each generation, people would assume that a particular individual was the Mashiach. This is from the Stei Chamed, a, a, a scholar of Jerusalem native. From 1833 to 1905 oh look at that the Jews lived in Israel back in the days before 19 you know look at that I didn't know there were All right, okay well back then he would be called Palestinian but way, okay um, so he lived in Jerusalem right the Jews were called you know they lived in Palestine then anyways um, in each generation people would assume that a particular individual was the Mashiach if the redemption would occur at that time his generation was declared and accepted that Rabbi Judah the Prince was a suitable candidate to serve the Mashiach. Similarly, the students Rabbi Yitzhak Luria the Arizal wrote that he was the Mashiach of the generation. All this is a straightforward manner. But again, I, I want to emphasize: these are just people who can be the Mashiach. Um, but we cannot say just because someone is a potential Mashiach that they will for sure be the Mashiach. Okay, till it happens, until the it brings in the exiles and builds the temple um we don't know uh for sure who it is and so here i want to address something that uh maybe i shouldn't open up the can of worms or i should but just for those who always wonder uh people wondered uh, many chabadniks have called it the rebbe the mashiach maybe you've heard this and it's caused a lot of people to be very angry at chabad and and uh, turn away from Chabad for many years. And and so again, after studying these texts, I'm sure you can understand what they're saying. They are not saying, they were never saying that he is for sure the Mashiach, because, well, maybe some who don't know the laws, but (laughs) the more studious ones, right? We don't know for sure who the Mashiach is until the Mashiach actually comes. But can you pinpoint to someone in in this century who would be a towering figure, who would be a, a, a candidate? who would fit some of those ideas. We know that the Rebbe was from the House of David, uh, who was studious in the Torah, who helped uh, others do the Torah and the mitzvot. So for many to believe that he is the potential Mashiach would make sense. Uh, they're not pressing that belief in anybody else, although some groups in the Chabad maybe do, which is wrong. But, uh, you know, the point is this, the idea that, that to say that he could be the potential Mashiach, as you can see, is totally within line of Jewish law. And um, even today as he's passed away, some point to the texts that point that the Mashiach can be from those who have passed away, and therefore it's still a possibility. Again, is it a cornerstone of belief that one has to believe this person is the Mashiach? No, that would be blasphemous. For any of us to say we know for sure who the Mashiach is going to be is blasphemy. We don't know, because until it happens, we don't know. That's one of the things we've, we've pointed out during this class time and time again. We do not know for sure who the Mashiach is. Can one have guesses and presumptions and thoughts? That's, that's okay. That's fine. To say that you know for sure, no, that's that we, we don't know until it happens. Nobody knows until it happens. And uh, if there's one thing we've learned is that we we don't know uh, a lot about the Mashiach. Um, and so it's still really up in the air until the Mashiach comes. But as one Chabadnik says, said, you know, in, in, in reality, I'd really hope the Rebbe's not Mashiach because then I'll have to share him with everybody else. Uh, anyways. But uh, <laughs> well I lose my private audience. Um, so uh, but either way, the point is that um, this is all within line. And um, hopefully that will clear up a misconception, and the next time you hear about it will help you uh, understand that idea a little bit better. And I do want to mention, and again, not to open up a bigger can of worms, there is a smaller subset within chabad. You know, think about it like this, you know, the Rebbe passing away was a traumatic event for many Chabadniks uh, at the time, you know, such a towering leader. And so some couldn't grapple with the fact, and I'm sure you've heard of uh, five stages of grief, one of them is called denial. So um, there is a small subset in Chabad, and as almost every other subset, which is a little a cookie, they make the most noise, but there's a small subset, they're not part of mainstream Chabad anywhere, but they believe that the Rebbe never passed away. Uh, they just couldn't deal, so instead they just said it never happened. Okay, and uh, and as my grandfather always likes to say, that's not real belief. A real believer, <laughs> a real believer is someone who can believe even when things are tough. <laughs> you know, it, it's not a real believer to say something never happened. That's called that's called lazy belief. You know, as as, as my grandfather says, he says, you know, uh, to believe that you know the is still going to come and we're still on a good path even though the Rebbe passed away. That takes more amunah you know, than those who just want to say, oh, nothing ever happened. But anyways, that's just a side point. So I I am getting, opening up a can of worms here, but I did want to explain to that. So since we were discussing these texts, you now have a better appreciation of what goes on over there and why uh, those thoughts and ideas are not blasphemy and what they actually mean by it um, when they say the Rebbe is possibly Mashiach. Okay, Uh, now we're going to get to uh, the next point is, I discussed that um, there were potential other potential Mashiachs in the past. Some of them were real, some of them were not real. So, um, there was one person who tried to be the Mashiach, and his name was Bar-, uh, Bar Kochba. And I want to show you the story of Bar Kochba now. And this was someone who many, many rabbis believed was possibly the Mashiach, and it's possible he would have been the Mashiach, but then. The Jewish people weren't worthy. Or he sinned, whichever way you want to look look at it. And he ended up not being the Mashiach. But Maimonides, but sorry, Rabbi Akiva himself, if you were to ask me who would be the Mashiach of that generation, I would say Rabbi Akiva, right? But Rabbi Akiva himself thought that Bar Kochba was the Mashiach, Okay, And so let's take a look at this fascinating story of uh, Bar Kochba. And again, this will give you a better appreciation for this idea that there's something called a potential Mashiach and the actual Mashiach. And uh, if the potential Mashiach doesn't pan out, okay, so the potential Mashiach didn't pan out. That doesn't take away from our belief. Believing in a potential Mashiach is fine. And if it doesn't pan out, that means it didn't happen because he was only potential. He wasn't the actual Mashiach. So let's take a look at the
2: story. From its inception, the Jewish nation lived with a messianic vision. Even in the worst of times, the Jews anticipated the rise of their star, a savior from the tribe of Judah who would liberate them from foreign subservience and enable religious freedom. 2,000 years ago, Rome stretched forth its mighty branches. In six of the common era, Judea, the heart of the Jewish homeland, became a Roman province. A few decades later, in the wake of the Great Jewish Revolt, the Romans destroyed the Holy Temple in Jerusalem. That marked the onset of the Jewish nation's exile and persecution. At the same time, the Jews could now anticipate their liberation through the promised Jewish Messiah. In 117 CE, Hadrian became Roman Emperor. He toured the empire, erecting pagan temples and promoting Roman beliefs. When he reached ruined Jerusalem in the year 130, he ordered the city plowed over and rebuilt as a Roman city named Ilia Capitolina, with a temple to Jupiter, the chief Roman deity, erected on the site of the holy temple on the Temple Mount. This was more than the Jews could take, and in 132 CE, a major revolt began unlike any other. The rebels assaulted the Roman garrison stationed in Judea and succeeded in capturing and holding part of the territory. As Jews from the diaspora flocked to join the cause, Hadrian responded by sending massive reinforcements from Syria, Egypt, and Arabia, but these were similarly defeated. Rome was badly shaken. Hadrian realized the need to muster a truly enormous army in response. He summoned legions from across the globe, including his best general, Julius Severus, who was ordered to travel from Britain with three European legions, and units were dispatched from as far as the Danube. Nearly one third of the colossal Roman army was redirected to counter the Jewish revolt. The Jewish army was led by Bar Kochba, about whom we know precious little.
3: The name Bar Kokhba wasn't really the man's name. We actually know his name was Shimon Bar Kosiba. But it was called Bar Kokhba because of a biblical verse in the book of Numbers, that a star will come forth from Jacob and a staff will arise from Israel. And this verse was understood to refer to the Messiah. As far as we know, many Jews believed that Bar Kokhba was indeed the Messiah and that they were supporting the coming of the Messiah in participating in the revolt. Such views were
2: reinforced by Bar Kochba's military gains and his liberation of Jerusalem.
3: What's really amazing is that during the period of Bar Kochba's rule, he put out coins. On the back side of some of these coins was actually the words Elazar Kohain, Elazar, the high priest, apparently, and this may indicate that they tried to restart sacrifices. Despite
2: Bar Kochba's widespread support. The Jewish sages were sharply divided on whether
3: Bar Kokhba was the Messiah. There were different views among the very important rabbis that we know from the Mishnah. Rabbi Akiva was convinced that Bar Kokhba was the Messiah. The Jerusalem Talmud actually records him as saying, this is the King Messiah. At the same time, Others, like Yoko Ben-Torta, were convinced that he couldn't possibly be the Messiah. And he told Rabbi Akiva, the grass will be growing on your nose, meaning you'll be in the grave before this guy will ever be a Messiah.
2: Eventually, the tide turned. The legions launched a campaign of systematic annihilation that left Judea almost entirely depopulated. The Roman historian Dio Cassius writes, very few of them, in fact, survived. 50 of their most important outposts and 985 of their villages were razed to the ground. 580,000 men were slain in the various raids and battles, and the number of those that perished by famine, disease, and fire were past finding out. Bar Kochba withdrew into the fortress town of Betar. It was besieged and fell in 135 CE, ending the revolt its occupants were slaughtered in an enormous massacre on the 9th of Av, the date in the Hebrew calendar on which the first and second temple had been destroyed. Bar Kokhba died there and Hadrian bitterly oppressed the Jews and the Jewish practice in retaliation.
3: Some years ago, I was at a scholarly conference about the Bar Kokhba revolt and an Israeli archeologist mentioned they had actually already located over 500 of these villages. I imagine that by now, he probably found a lot more. So here we see that these events really occurred and that this war and this tragedy was as great as we find in our sources.
2: In the ensuing two millennia of Jewish exile, the Jews, unlike the Romans, survived and thrived, returned and rebuilt, and continued to eagerly await the fulfillment of God's promise of redemption.
0: So that was Bar Kokhba. Bar Kokhba was um, someone who had a presumption of being the Messiah, but ultimately he didn't pan out. And uh, in fact, the Talmud mentions that he sinned. Um, something I've discussed many times, he once turned to heaven and said, God, don't help me and don't help my enemies. He basically said, I'm, we're doing okay. Um, or some of his soldiers said that, but either way, uh, the point that I'm trying to say is you can have an opinion about the presumed Messiah, And it doesn't pan out. It doesn't pan out. You know, Uh, the Jews that joined his army were not necessarily doing it out of the belief that he was the Messiah, although some of may have. They were doing it because they wanted to revolt. Okay, the rabbis were not behind the revolt, but then they were watching and saying, well, this guy, he's leading a very successful revolt. Maybe he's the Messiah, you know, and he was a righteous person. Um, The reason other rabbis felt he wasn't Messiah, they did certain tests on him that they felt proved that he wasn't the Messiah. Either way, I want to talk about another person who was presumed to be the Messiah by some, but he was rejected by almost all rabbis immediately. And that is a guy called Shabtai Svi. Anybody here ever heard of Shabtai Zvi? Yeah. So we'll do a, a quick uh, historical video on Shabtai Zvi. And um, this is just to give you a little history, just a couple of minutes. And this is somebody who Again, never even became the presumed Messiah, as we'll see, because he did not keep all the Torah laws. If you don't keep all the Torah laws, you cannot be the presumed Messiah. But nevertheless, many people believed in him. So this is going to be Rabbi Wine, those who have heard of him, great Jewish historian today.
3: 5,000 years of Jewish history, one video clip at a time. Clip number 45, Shabbatai Tzvi.
1: In 1653, a false messiah arrives that will cause havoc amongst the Jewish people. His name is Shabzai Tzvi. He's from Turkish descent. Uh, He comes to the land of Israel. Shabzai Tzvi is a genius. He's also slightly psychotic, probably a manic depressive. He's able to go for days without sleeping, and then in his depressive state, he stays in bed for two weeks at a time. In the 1600s, when people didn't quite understand how manic depressive works, well, they said he must be meditating or he must be communicating with God. It was all part of the aura of the false messiah. Now, every false messiah needs a publicity agent, and Shopsai had a great one, a man by the name of Nathan of Gaza. And Nathan publicized him throughout the world. He sent letters to every Jewish community. He said the Messiah's arrived. Jews in Amsterdam sold their businesses, their homes, leased ships. They're all ready to go back to the land of Israel. The problem with the Messiah is that sooner or later, he has to deliver. Sooner or later, something's gotta happen. And the Turkish Sultan was not about to give up the land of israel to the jews nor was he ready to accept shabzai's claim of being a ruler and a messiah and then eventually he had him arrested and even when he was arrested he was under house arrest Uh, people still flocked to him it's estimated that 30 percent of the jewish world ended up believing in him Great rabbis believed in him. And he had a lot of money flowing into him. And that enabled the machine to keep on going, especially the propaganda machine of Nathan of Gaza. But eventually the Sultan tired of the entire charade and he called in Shabzai and he said, I give you a choice. Either convert to Islam or I'll behead you. Well, Shabzai converted to Islam. Can you imagine the shock in the Jewish world that the so-called Jewish Messiah converted out of the faith and became a Muslim. The entire messianic movement of Shab Zvi fell apart but there always are a few true believers that remain. No matter what happens, they still believe. And Nathan of Gaza exploited them to say that this is the true moment of test Only those who believe now will be privileged to be part of the Messianic movement. And so there remained a small core of Sabbateans throughout the Jewish world, but most of the Jewish world disowned Shabzai Tzvi, and not only that, many of them disowned the idea of the Messiah or the Messianic era entirely. Thank you for watching. My name is Beryl Wine.
0: All right, so that was Shabtai Svi, and that had a reverberations across Jewish history. A couple generations later, there was a guy called Frank, Frank kissed him. They were also false messiahs. Um, but again, usually false messiahs are easy to root out, uh, because just like Shabtai Svi, they don't really keep all the Jewish laws. The only reason he was able to hoodwink people for so long is because he lived long distance. And he had this guy, Nathan of Gaza, who is great at uh, PR. And um, and so uh, the Mashiach will be someone who, who follows through the entire process, will always follow along the way of God, and then eventually will fulfill what God wants. And at a certain point, after the Mashiach has come already and he's brought the exile, he's brought the temple, he will move on from being less of a monarch and more of a teacher, because ultimately at a certain point, We will not need him to rule us, so to speak, and convince us of the truth, Uh, but we will have the time to study all the time all about God, and that's really what the times of Mashiach are about. Before we finish today, um, first, I just want to answer a question. Somebody asked, what does it matter if the potential Mashiach naturally died or was killed? Um, Well, first of all, it's just what Jewish law says, that if he's killed, he cannot be the Mashiach, but why? Uh, It's seemingly very much understood. If he's killed, that's a sign that he's not, you know, if someone kills him, he's not destined to be the Mashiach. His, he, he, he didn't die naturally working on what he was trying to do. Uh, it's a sign that what he was trying to do was not desirable by God. That's a sign that what he was trying to do was he wasn't going to be the ultimate. Um, anyways, Um I just wanted to end with a parable. There was a parable I heard today about the Mashiach, a really great parable. And uh, I know today there weren't, it was kind of hard to find things that have applicable lessons in your life, although there are some, but um, I want to end with a parable I heard today. And that is that there was once a king, he had a mountain that he wanted to lower by a thousand meters and um, he didn't know what to do. So he he, he told his uh, subjects, he said, there's gold on this mountain. I want you to all dig for the gold and uh, you'll get all the gold. And so the subjects all came. There was a gold rush. They all came and were digging this mountain and digging it and digging it. And they got the 1,000 meters down. And the king came and says, "Ah, I'm sorry, I I tricked you all. But for all your hard work, here's a wagon of gold. Everybody here takes some gold and uh, go home. You know, so everybody got their gold that they were looking for. If you hear the story, you take a moment and you say, that's that's, that's silly. That's stupid. Um, Why would he need to... Lie to them. Just say I'll pay you. I'll give you gold to dig my mountain. Why does it say? Why does it lie and and and, and say there is gold and then there's no gold? And then he brings a wagon in the end. And so it's just the same thing as about the Mashiach. Some people look at the Mashiach as if we're doing all these actions that are meaningless. And then in the end, this big wagon of gold comes. The Messianic era ushers in, and we're all ushered into this beautiful era. Ah, eh, that's not. That's not a nice. We we wouldn't like that. That wouldn't be an inspiring thing. So ultimately we're doing something useless. Instead, we look at it the other way around. There is gold in this mountain. There is meaning to what we do. And when we finish all the work that we do, that ushers in the messianic era. They're not disconnected, a messianic era to get rid of all the evil. We are elevating the evil. We're gradually bringing about the change that is going to happen to the world. We may not always see it, but we are bringing that change. And so we should be inspired today. Now, like I said earlier in the lesson, we have to have this belief Mashiach come it's both gradual and possible to be, you know, in, the, in an instant because we believe we are slowly, slowly bringing the Mashiach, but we also believe that, um, the Mashiach can, uh, be coming in a moment. And, uh, we have our hope and faith and we're all going to do more and more actions to bring the Mashiach closer. So thank you for joining. If you want to stick on, I have just a, it's a song. If you want to see it, it's just since we described about Mashiach coming, uh, you know the uh, the bright horizon sometimes music is a way to inspire our faith so again you don't have if, you, if music is not your language don't stick around This is a really nice song somebody redid a couple years ago um about the coming of mashiach and um so here it goes
4: trembling in the darkness pray for the light See we never come at the darkest of the night. Oh yes, this goddess it surrounds us. Battlefield, oh. we slowly inch ahead. We believe it's real. Sorrow slips away The past is but a dream And yet a sign the base of Mykodosh Yes, these goals Slipped away Like the night so swiftly turned day. Celebration, exaltation, Young and old Like the night so swiftly turned to day days so long foregone night forever gone now here it is the crack of dawn
0: may we all soon experience the crack of dawn and all those other things will slip away Amen.
2: Amen. Amen.
0: All right. That was a long one for today.